I love that. Would you like to sing along with me? If you would ask the people who know you best, the people that you rub shoulders with, that you do life with, would you like to sing along with me the tune of my life? What would they join in singing? Would they join in singing your tune of life, what we just heard, Jesus is all I need, or would it be, uh, I don't have enough yet? It's going to be a bad day again today. I'm so tired. Man, that was good teaching and theology for us right there. When we invite people to sing along with us, whether we recognize it or not, people are looking to us. They're looking at the victory we have or lack thereof. When we invite people to sing along with us, it's our heart's cry that they see Jesus through us. Grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We got some great stuff in God's Word tonight. I mean, this morning was good, but this is just amazing stuff. This is good stuff. Father, I thank you for your precious Word you've given to us. I thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that your word is the most relevant thing to us in our life right here and right now. I pray that we won't just hear it. It won't just go in one ear and out the other. It won't just be something we memorize. It'll be something that we feast on, we chew on, we allow it to be the source of substance for our life. Lord, I pray that we will be changed, wash and renew our mind with your word tonight, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm proud of you. We're on uh, week five of Lord, change my attitude before it's too late. Just by you showing up again, it tells me that you're serious about your attitude. Or you just like Sunday night church. I'm not sure which one it is. But you are saying, I want to dump wilderness attitudes. I want to bring on board the promised land living attitudes. You remember the thesis of our study together, when we choose a lifestyle of grumbling, a summary of the five wilderness attitudes, a lifestyle of grumbling, we are choosing a lifestyle in the wilderness. God is calling us to leave those wilderness attitudes and to allow him to displace them with promised land living attitudes. Last week, we kind of ended on a depressing note as I talked to a friend. It was kind of the Friday. We didn't get to Sunday yet of the the hope and the the good news. But just a quick reminder, if you missed last week, we're looking at replacing a critical attitude. Now, to be critical or criticism for the course of this study, it's to dwell on the perceived faults of another person with no view to their good. That's what we mean by being critical, to dwell on your perception of their faults. That's important. Your perception is not always right. What you think is someone's fault may not really be a fault in them, but to dwell upon your perception of another person's fault with no view to their good. You say, well, I just want to be helpful. Well, then, that's not criticism. You're doing something else. But with no view to, your, to their good, that's being critical. Criticism is wrong. It's petty. Often when we're critical, that's not the real issue. We have to look at what's really bothering us. Criticism is self-exalting. It lifts me up, not the other person. Criticism, it's painful. It hurts you, the one who's criticizing. It hurts the person that you're critical of. It hurts everybody else who has to listen to that poison. Criticism is painful. Criticism is often inadvertent. 
It's no excuse. Just because you didn't mean it or you didn't think about it or you weren't intending it, it's still damaging. But finally, criticism is what plugs the flow of God's blessing in our lives so many times. Well, if we don't want to be critical, as Carrie helped us with a little uh, fun uh, play off of a bad testimony, when she says, well, you know, the way I found victory is I just stopped being critical. You cannot change your attitude overnight. You can change course or direction on an attitude overnight, but you can't change it overnight. This is a, a set of habits and, and things that you've been in a long time, and, and you don't just change it overnight. You don't just say, I'm going to stop being critical. That's not how it works. But God gives us another attitude to displace that. And tonight we're going to look at an attitude of love. We've got to displace this critical attitude, this fault-finding, negative, always harsh with other people attitude with an attitude of love. Now you may be thinking, well, Pastor Brady, I, I know about love. I've heard all this, love your neighbor as yourself, and the greatest of all these things is love, and you'll be love, excuse me, by your love, all men will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another, and, and greater love has no man than this, and, and this isn't new. How is this going to be helpful to me? I, I know that I'm supposed to love. Well, you're correct. This is not brand new information. It's not that you've never heard that we're supposed to love, but the deal tonight is how do we love? How do we have an attitude of love that displaces a critical spirit? See, God's word, it doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us how to do it. This is not just a what to do thing. It's also a how to do it. And tonight, I believe that no matter how long you've walked with God or how short you have walked with God, he wants to stretch us in the area of understanding and putting into practice what it means to love the way he loves. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Now, how many of you, uh, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, you just think about a wedding? Anybody else think about a wedding? I mean, this is just, I can just see it right now. We're at a wedding, and it's just kind of read like a poem, and it's so nice, and you just kind of look, oh, where's the bride? She's dressed so good, and, and it's a very appropriate passage to use at a wedding, I guess, but we have missed the context, I think, of what this is all about. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 2. This isn't just some kind of romantic poem. There is powerful truth here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. See, all truth and no love is brutality. If we have all truth but no love, it's brutality. Write that in. It's brutality. Now, the, the church in Corinth had a lot of things going for it. Contrary to what we hear a lot sometimes in teaching, uh, they, they weren't just downright horrible people all the time. The church in Corinth had a lot of things going for it. They had many spiritual gifts, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 7. They had good doctrine, according to 1 Corinthians eleven two. The problem was that love was absent in their midst. Now, the best and most simple definition for love is God himself. Listen to 1 John 4, 7 and 8. You may want to jot this down, but listen to this. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, excuse me, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Down a few verses, 1 John four sixteen, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This love is a flat-out supernatural thing. Now, if we're going to displace this critical, fault-finding, negative, always-down-on-other-people attitude, we've got to get clear from the start, this is not Brady's love, this is not your love. This is displacing it with an attitude of God's love. You don't have what it takes to love the way God loves. I don't have what it takes to love the way God loves. This is a capacity to love that you and I don't have. It's a capacity to love that pushes out this wilderness attitude of, of being critical. And it's ushering in this promised land attitude of God's love. And you don't have that capacity. Say that with me. I don't have that capacity. Say it. I don't have that capacity. Well, you say, well, how do you know? Well, you look kind of human to me. Well, most of you anyway. We don't have the capacity to love on our own the way this passage is talking about. And so if you're going to displace this critical attitude on your own with your own love, you'll be even more critical through your pseudo-fake love than anything else. But this is about God's love. One of the Greek words for love in this passage specifically is agape. Now, this is not the Greek word that talks about a sensual love or a love that's based off of feeling. No, this is a choice. It views love as a decision or an act of will. As simple as I can put it, agape love is you before me. Write that in. When we're talking about love, this agape, this biblical love, this God-given love, it is you before me. It's this attitude of love putting somebody else first which displaces this critical spirit in us. Now so often when we say, I love that person, we are saying the exact opposite of what biblical love is. I mean, think about it. What we're saying is, hey, the sum total of everything about you all mixed together is really working for me right now. And I love the way you make me feel. In essence... What you're doing, who you are right now, really makes me feel good. And I love who was most important is me. And so when I say I love this or I love that in a worldly sense, it's the exact opposite. But this is not you before me. It's a selfish way. Most of us, we fall into this trap when we think about love for somebody else. I love how you're working for me at the moment. Now, We know this is right because think about our speech pattern. When someone is no longer working for us, they're no longer pleasing to us, we find our speech of how we say we love them begins to dwindle. Oh, I just love that person. They have such a vivacious personality. They are such a warm person. They make me feel so good when I'm around them. Well, what happens when they're off their game and they have a bad day? I, don't, I mean, I don't want them to hit, get hit by a Mack truck or anything, but I don't, I don't know that I'm just like loving them a lot right now. God says, my love is you before me. It's not about my feeling. It's about that choice. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2 again. 
if I speak in tongues of men. Now, now this passage, I want to argue, this is not talking about some kind of a prayer language, and, and I'm not going to get into that whole thing right now, but in essence, what's being said here is, if, if I would speak in the best language of men, if I would have the best communication skills of men, no, 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 something better than that. And if I would speak in the best tongues of men or, or angels, the very messenger of God, if I would be the most eloquent communicator of all men, of all angels, and read on, what does it say? But do not have love, I am what? A resounding gong, I'm a clanging cymbal. What the, the author of this passage is saying is, no matter how eloquent you are, no matter how much truth you proclaim, if you do not have love, you are just a resounding gong. One of the reasons I love teaching and preaching with you guys is, is I love you. But I just want you to imagine if, if you were pretty confident that I not only didn't love you, I didn't care about you, and I just didn't like you. I mean, no matter what I'm saying, no matter how much truth it is, it's just clang, clang, clang. Do you know anybody in your life that they best resemble just a noisy gong? Now, don't point at them if they're here. I just want you to think about it. We have people in our life that we go, that is them. I mean, there is no love. They have answers to everything, but they're just noisy, and, and it's just irritating, and they are worth nothing in this category of love. Now, what this passage is telling us, it's not saying that love is something that's helpful. It's not just some kind of side thing that we tack on with the main course of whatever else is going on. It says, if I don't have love, let's read on, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. If I have faith, I can move mountains. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Now, if I have all this great knowledge, all these wonderful spiritual gifts, I have great eloquence in proclaiming the truth, but I have no love, does my report card get a B? No. Maybe a C? No. Do I get a D in this category? No. Do I get an F? No. An F, you know, if you've ever gotten an F, you get some points. You got 30% or 20, but you get something. You get how much? You get zero. I am nothing without love, nothing Holds true. You know, the number one perception that people have of, of people like you and I, the world around us, when they think about us, one of the number one perceptions they have about us is they often think of us as Bible thumpers. They just think that we, we just want to hit people over the head with Scripture and just, just beat them down. Now I want to act this out. Why not you come up here? I'm just going to smack you with... No, I won't do that to you. And in all seriousness, that that's what... Their perception is, whether it's right or wrong, their perception is that, that we just get so excited about cramming the Bible down their throat and just, just beating them up with Scripture. And you know what? My experience has been that their perception is not always that unfair. I've met a lot of Christians who, who really enjoy just kind of beating people back and forth with God's Word. And, and there's not very much love in their life. They, they, they love to hang on to truth, but this aspect of love, they, 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 they sidestep that. You know, God is telling us that if that is our attitude, we are just a resounding gong. Well, I don't know, Pastor Brady, if that's really me. Well, we find ourselves saying things like, I just can't take it at work anymore. They, they say those words and, and they have a foul mouth and I don't like it. I'm going to go quote some scripture to them. I'm just going to go tell them what for. 
I'm not making a case for bad language. I'm not making a case that you don't ever speak up. But we get so aggravated about the people who don't claim to know Jesus that they're not living like they know Jesus. Uh, maybe we should get aggravated at each other. But the people who never claim to know Jesus, what, what, what are we doing? Well, my boss, I tell you what, he's been cheating on this thing and it's just been driving me crazy. And I'm going to go set him straight. I'm going to quote, quote a few scripture verses to him. Hey, he may never have claimed to know Jesus. And, and is that really what it is? The question is, do you love him? Do you love them? Is there any love in you at all? If we want to break this critical spirit, we have to allow it to be displaced with an attitude of godly, agape, you before me, love. Now we come across scriptures like Psalm 119, verse 126. You don't need to turn there, but a lot of us need to underline this. I think it's on the outline. It's a scripture like this. It's exactly this. It is time for you to act. Lord, your law is being broken. Kind of like scriptures like that. Time to act, God. They are messing up. Your law is being broken. But if we read on 10 verses later in 119 verse 136, streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Now, your heart is kind of like God's when you're all fired up about the truth. But your heart is really like God's when it breaks over sin and breaks over those who are led and controlled by the, the evil one. And they are a sinner who is not experiencing salvation. You see, we need to allow God to break our hearts for the things that break his heart. We become critical when we take the attitude of Jonah and we say, God, I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you would... Be a loving God, and I'm ticked off. Why don't you just get them? We think this way sometimes. Well, I mean, not like so brash about everybody, but we come across someone, we just go, well, they just, you know, those kind people just hack me off. Where's our love? The critical spirit comes up, and, and the only thing that's going to cleanse it out is this agape, you before me, love. All truth and no love is brutality. Another way of saying this is all truth and no grace. This is wrong. Write this next one in. 1 Corinthians 13.3 tells us that all love and no truth is hypocrisy. Look at verse 3. Some of us get on our high horse and we say, yeah, I'm not about that. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start living it out. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to start giving to people. Look at verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Well, I'm going to give everything to the poor. I'm going to go meet their needs. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to clothe them. I'm going to do all this good stuff for them. Hey. If you give all this grace with no truth, that's not love either. It's, that's not helpful. That's hypocrisy. Well, I, I'm just going to give you all this stuff. I'm going to sell all my things and, and just go to you. That is not this biblical love either. We are to be full of grace and full of truth. In the church today, there's these polar opposites where there's these grace people. They're just grace, 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 grace. And they got a little bit of truth, but it's just grace, everything. Grace, grace, grace. And this is not the picture we see in Jesus. And then we have the other spectrum, and they are truth, truth, truth. 
don't care what it makes you feel. It's truth. A little bit of grace, but mainly truth. Jesus is not one or the other. It is full truth and full grace. All grace, all truth. That is love. I want you to imagine a father who has a daughter who has just begun dating. I don't like that thought. Those of you who have been there, pray for me. That's a fearful thought for me. But imagine a father has a daughter who's beginning to date seriously, and and she is dating a non-Christian man. He doesn't know the Lord, and and you can see all the pitfalls that are coming ahead. Now, one position to deal with this would say, well, you know, I'm just going to love my daughter, and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to just going to give them both grace, and just going to love them. Just going to love them, and you know, I don't want to stop my business. I don't want to get in. I'm just going to love them. And the other side would say is, I just found out she's dating that no good loser. When they get home, I'm going to set them straight. I'm going to give them a good dose of truth, and, and I'm going to sit them down and just give them the what for. Hey, friends, both of these actions are weak. They do not get at what it means to love. There has to be full grace and full truth. You have to love in grace and give truth. It's that balance. You say, well, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Well, I don't know if I can do it. I'm confident you can't do it. Well, it's not just in me naturally. No, it's not. It is God's love in you that he gives to you that displaces this critical attitude. Well, how is this going to work? This is why you came tonight. This is the good stuff. I want you to press in with me and and look at what God is calling us and the details. I don't know if it can get any more practical than this. I don't know if, if you say, I want something to apply to my life tonight as I leave this worship center. This is as practical as it gets. On the majors, how do we do this? How do we love with God's love? On the majors, we need to have action. We need to take action. On the major things, we need to take action. To love somebody with truth and grace, we need to take action on the majors. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, is, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In verse 6, we often stop there. In wedding, we don't want to do this next part. This is just, oh, that's good. Look at this next part. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. There's a rejoicing in truth. Love rejoices in the truth. And on the major things, we need to take action. There comes a time in every relationship where an issue becomes so serious that you cannot sit by and ignore it and call that love. You have to take action and speak to it. So when do I confront? When do I speak? When do I deal with it? I don't want to have a critical attitude. How do I know when it's time for me to speak or to confront? Here's a little litmus test from Scripture for us. We need to take action on the majors. Well, what's a major? Number one, ask this question. Is it critical? Is it a critical path? If it's not a critical path, I'm going to argue that it's not a major. And I'm not saying it's not an issue between that person and God, but it's not necessarily for you to speak up and confront in love. If you have a critical attitude, you're already off the charts on wanting to confront everybody that you see. This is the problem of a critical attitude. If you're a person here who's not struggling with a critical attitude, you may just need to listen because you're going to come across somebody who does. But we need to say, is this a critical path? 
how do I know if it's a critical path? If failure to take action would produce major fallout, it may be a critical path. Is this a major doctrinal issue that's being ignored? It may be a critical path. Now, now, hear me, a major doctrinal issue. I'm not talking about some minor thing that you have a disagreement with someone else. A major doctrinal issue. It could be a critical path. Is it actively, currently, right now, hurting them or someone else in a very tangible way? It could be a critical path. If it's a critical path, don't just collect stories. Don't just think about it. Go and talk to them. The loving thing is to talk to them with humility, with, with a kind and loving tone, but you need to talk to them. What else would put something in a major category? Number two. Ask the question, is it a chronic problem? Not did it happen once or happen twice or three times, but many, 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 many times. It may not be, it may not be something that's real critical. It may be a small issue, but it's happening over and over and over and over and over. Song of Solomon 2.15 says, the little foxes spoil the vine. There are some smaller issues that might require taking action because of their chronic nature. It's happened over and over and over. This may be a way for us to love when we speak up and speak out. Then you go to that person gently and humbly and offer words of correction. Now, we observe all kinds of chronic issues. Habitual problems. If you're an analytical mind, your brain is full of all the chronic problems of everyone else in this room and everywhere you go. And none of this will work if you don't get the third one here. If it's, if it's major, is it a critical path? We're going to see, is, is this something that is chronic? It's happening over and over and over again. And third, am I living in close proximity? Sometimes it's major because that person is so close to you, you have earned the right to talk to them about it. If it's your child, friend, that's close proximity. You need to speak to them about it. It's not your place to, well, I'll just kind of let it go. If it's your child and they live in your home, it's your job to love them and speak to them in, in, a, in a way of humility and graciousness and compassion, but speak to them in these major areas. But there's nothing worse than someone who comes up to you who is a complete stranger and says, you know what, I don't know you, but... <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I've had it happen a number of times. I don't know you, but, and then you know it's coming after that big but. It's something's coming. But I just feel like I need to tell you something. Now, whenever that happens to me, I, I do my best to smile and just take it for Jesus. If that's the worst thing I face, then good grief. I don't even know if that counts as persecution at all. But what goes through the back of my mind is there is hundreds of people in my church that have relationship with me. There's thousands of people I've done life with, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And wouldn't it be strange if God would talk to this person who has no relationship with me to bring a word of correction to me? He's probably going to use one of you who I have relationship with. You know what breaks my heart is there is a lot of Christians who take it upon themselves. They feel like they are the lifestyle police. And any person they see, they think they're going to help them. And they're going to go up. They have no relationship with them. And they want to tell them what is wrong in their life. They don't have any relationship. And worse yet, they don't want a relationship with them. Even if one opened up, they don't really want to. They just want to tell you what's wrong. Friend, I'm convinced that this is not God's love. This is not you before me. This is, I've got to speak the truth. Not because I want you to be helped, but... To be honest, you know what this is? I see something that's not right. 
I'm uneasy with it. I don't want to be uneasy. So I'm going to vomit on you. And you know, most of the time you're right. Most of the time what you see that is wrong is wrong, but it is not necessarily your place to speak that confrontation, that correction. To have a loving attitude, ask these questions. I'm going to take action on the major things. Is it a critical path? Is it a chronic issue that's small over and over and over again? Am I living in close proximity? Do I have a relationship with that person? Have I earned the right to share with them? Okay, so how do I go about doing that if it's a major thing? Well, the scripture tells us, verse 4 and 5, love is patient, kind, does not envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, there is no place for an aggressive, boisterous, obnoxious confrontation. If anybody can characterize your going to them in love as boisterous, aggressive, obnoxious, that's not love. That's a critical spirit coming out. It's not that truth is opposite of love. Truth is a part of love. Now, if, if you're angry with this person or about this issue that you're going to talk to them about that's a major thing, I want to say you're not ready to talk to them yet. Love is not angry. It doesn't return the same evil back. Love is not overly negative. Love is not coming to settle a score. I just need to tell you, I have close proximity to you, this is a major thing. I need to tell you, because you have hurt me so bad, I'm going to tell you in love what's going on. Hey, friends, God needs to bring healing to your heart first. When I'm going in love, I'm not coming to say, I need to tell you because what you've done for me. That's not you before me. I'm going to say, hey, listen, you know what? Could it be that this is something going on in your life, and I don't want this to, to continue to happen for you. It's, it's hurting others, and it's going to hurt you. When we're loving, it's putting the other person first. But the enemy gets us trapped into being this lifestyle police for every person who's not under our authority or our care. We begin to say things like, well, I just need to say it to protect my family. I need to say it to protect my church. I need to go to that leader or that person and say, you know, for the good of the church, I just need to tell you. how Really? 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 In love, it's you before me. Now, sometimes when you're in authority, there's correction. But in love, I'm going to you saying, hey, I have your best interest at heart. I need to share this with you. On the majors, we need to take action. You say, well, Pastor Brady, all that talk on that, there's, you're probably thinking there's a lot of action that needs to take place tonight. Go do this. Look around. Somebody you can confront. Friends, I don't believe there's a lot of action we need to take in this category. If we're battling a a critical attitude, no doubt today, this day, there's over a hundred things that could have ticked you off, could have aggravated you that you saw that's just not right. I saw it at church, saw this here, and I went out to lunch, I saw it here, I went to my neighborhood, I saw it there, I, I talked to my spouse, I saw it there, uh, I talked to the kids, I saw it there, and in this, out of the hundred things, maybe there's two or three that God's calling you to take action on. See, we want this love to displace that out of our heart. Well, what do we do with the other things, the minors? On the minors, we're called to have acceptance, write that in acceptance. What do I mean? By acceptance. Well, what are the minors? Cultural differences. You know, it would be great if we could load everybody up in a plane and we could travel 
overseas and go to another country and see other brothers and sisters and see that they love the same Jesus with the same passion or greater and they do things different than us. You know, and many of you have had that opportunity and here's what breaks my heart. We can give all kinds of acceptance to them because they do it different over there, but a cultural difference here. Well, I'm not going to give you grace for that. that that's, that's something that I'm going to make a major when it's really a minor. The minor things, if it's a cultural difference, friends, we need to love one another and allow our critical attitude to be displaced by accepting one another for who we are. Cultural differences. You know what? We go overseas and we listen to some tribal music and we say, isn't that great for their culture? But when we think about our culture, we say, I, I don't know if I like that music. I, I, I don't know if I like that preaching. You know, there, there's a particular way to have preaching. And I want it to be this way. There's a particular way to do age-level ministries, and it needs to happen this way. Friends, let's be honest. This is not a major. Let's call it what it is. It's your preference. It's okay to have a preference. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a preference. But your preference and my preference, that's not a major. On love, we're going to bring acceptance with one another. That's the second one here. It's personal preferences. You know, it's it's how somebody should dress or, or how somebody should look a certain way. Now, there's a place for us to teach from God's Word. Well, this is going to be fun. I can tell. I can see it in your eyes. There's a place to talk about it in God's Word. Whenever we talk about dress in God's Word, you know what I think it says? Wear whatever you want to. Just wear enough of it. <laughs> just wear enough of it. Modesty is a biblical issue. But everything else is preference. Now, hear me. Preference is not bad. It's not bad. But we need to call it what it is. It's our preference. And in our culture, there's some things where preference matters. Okay, there's some things that matters. If I go into Burger King and I don't have a shirt on and I try to order, they'll say, hey, you got to wear a shirt to order here. After they throw up and say, you're like a white whale. Don't do that. <laughs> well, this isn't a biblical issue. This isn't a God sin issue. This is a cultural issue. And in our culture, we deal with cultural things. But let's not call it a God thing. This is not a major thing that we split over. We deal with this in a cultural way. And there's preferences, and that's okay. But let's call it what it is. And it's not just preferences. There's personalities. If you're dealing with a critical spirit, it may be some cultural issues that get you all riled up. It may be some preferences that get you riled up. And that's okay. Don't misunderstand me. Preferences are fine. But deal with them as they are. They're minors. They're not the major. Personalities. There's some people that you're going to meet who are just not like you. Extroverts and introverts. Those who are aggressive and those who are passive. Those who are fun and have a great sense of humor, and those of you who um, aren't. <laughs> there, there are people who, who you just love being around, and there's people who you, you love them, but you just, you're okay to not be around them. It's a personality difference, and that's okay, and that's a minor. And we need to say, God, give me your love to accept them for who they are. Now, now hang on, this, this next one's big. Cultural differences and personality preferences and, and uh, all these things. This is not moral sin issues, but this on the minors where we give acceptance to one another. Not every area of disobedience, every area of sin is your responsibility to confront every person you see. Well, don't misunderstand me. 
I'm not going soft on how we live our life. I'm not saying you compromise and, and there's little sin that's no big deal. It's just a minor sin and you just do that. Hey, between you and God, it's a huge deal. But friend, if you're dealing with a critical attitude, you need to be set free. God is not calling you to point out every single wrong in every person and go up to them and set them straight. There's some people that it's not a major area of sin. It's not a major crossroad. It's not some proximity that you have close with them. It's not some habitual thing. And you say, God, I'm going to trust that you'll deal with them on that. It's not right. It needs to be dealt with. Just not by me, maybe. Just not by you. You want to get over a critical attitude? You have to have categories of things that are right and are wrong. That's not up to you. The person with a critical attitude struggles with this. Because I think I'm God's gift to lifestyle policing. When you're in great close proximity, your kids, your family, God is calling you to speak. When you're in authority over another person, God is calling you to speak. But friends, there's so many times we put on the hat that is not ours to wear. And what we're saying may be right, but it's not in love. Love is patient. What does it look like when I accept you in love, you before me? Love is patient persistently compassionate in the face of opposition. Oh my goodness, that's hard to do. I'm going to be persistently compassionate in the face of you aggravating me. That's love. Love is kind. Kindness is not being passive. It is actively giving goodwill to you. I'm going to love you and be kind, and it's going to take over in my life, not a critical attitude, when I begin to act in kindness towards you. Love does not envy. What do we mean here? For you and I to do this, it means I accept you, even when you're more successful than me. You want to break that critical spirit? Look at the people who you're critical of. Could you love them by accepting them when they're more successful than you? Could you love them by accepting them when they are more recognized than you? Could you love them by accepting them when they're more rewarded than you are? Because love says, it's you before me, and you go, I am thrilled for you. Love also doesn't boast, it doesn't brag. We sometimes get the first one of, you know what, I'm not going to envy that brother or sister, that family member who's recognized when I'm not, and I know I need to love them. But what happens when the table are turned? What happens when you're achieving things that others aren't? What happens when you're finding success that others aren't? Does everything change? Do you view everybody else as just kind of like these good-for-nothing losers? What about the people who you were peers with, but you have had great success, and for whatever reason they haven't, and do you still love them? This is what it means not to brag. It says, I accept you even if you're not as successful as me. I accept you even if you're not recognized as much as I am recognized. I am not going to say anything that would intentionally make you uncomfortable by drawing attention to what I have been blessed with. This is love. You before me. You want to displace this wilderness attitude of being critical? Well, I'm not so sure now. Well, it's through this attitude of love. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things. It bears the weight of a misunderstanding. 
in essence, if, if, if I'm going to love you, if there's some kind of confusion, there's an exchange of words, and we're not sure what's going to happen, I'm just going to bear it. I'm just going to take it. I'm not going to allow some silly exchange to bring a fracture in our relationship. It's going to carry the weight of that. I'm just going to take it for Jesus. I'm going to love you anyway. Love believes the best about other people. If you're dealing with a critical attitude, you're going to find that it's like a magnet. All these people who want to gossip are going to come to you. You're fertile ground. You're fun to gossip to because you're going to jump in on a few things they didn't think of. If you want to allow love to take over, here's what you got to do. When someone comes to you and says, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened with Carrie? I just, you know, let's pray for her. So let me tell you everything so we know how to pray for each other. That's how we code it. Just stop right there and say, yeah, I know Carrie. She's one of my best friends. I, I, I'm believing the best for her. They share some kind of juicy gossip. You say, you know, that, that's not my experience with her. I, I've not seen that. If you do that over and over, you know what will happen? People will stop gossiping to you. It's no fun. You take all their joy. But if you want to break free from that, you've got to allow that love, them before you, to take root in your life. Love hopes all things. This is a good test. If you're confronting someone on a major issue in love, what's your hope for the redemptive thing? If you're going to go talk to someone about something uh, that you're going to confront them in love and you have not allowed your brain to go, what would be the best God outcome? How could God be glorified by the end of this conversation? I didn't think about that. I just thought I needed to tell him what for. That's not love. Love hopes for the best for them. It's not unrealistic. Love knows that there's mistakes and there's problems and challenges, but I have hope that God can redeem you. I have hope that the best could happen. This changes our attitude. And finally, love endures all things. This is a military term. It's similar to saying to take up guard. The person you're trying to love that you've been critical of, do you take up guard on their behalf? Are you setting up a, a blockade to defend them, you before me? It's hard to be critical when I'm ready to defend you. It's hard for me to dwell on my perception of your faults with no view to your good in sight when I'm saying I am fortifying in your behalf to defend you. If I say something, it's going to help you, but I want to protect you. When we love this way, it displaces this attitude. On the majors, we take action. On the minors, we give acceptance. And the final point, in all things love. Look at verse 8. This is amazing. Love never fails. Sometimes I think that there's things that we read in Scripture that we don't really understand how weighty they really are. This isn't something that just kind of rhymes or looks good on the page in your Bible. It means what it says. How often does love work? Every single time. What's the fail rate, failure rate of love? Zero. So when you don't know what to do, and you have a critical attitude and critical spirit, and there's a person you don't know what to do, what, what should you do? Love. How many times? All the time. How often will it work? Love never fails. Well, your own like of them? No, no, it's not your love. It's God's love. God's love. You before me will never, ever fail. Look at this passage, John thirteen thirty-five. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. I want to know what's next. 
everyone will know that you are my disciples by how many verses in the Bible you have memorized. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by your stellar attendance track record at church. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by how holy you look and how holy you sound. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by how you win people to the Lord. That's a good thing. We're called to do that. That's not what this verse says. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by how you love the lost. That's a good thing, but that's not what this says. Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Church, if we would love the people in this room with a you-before-me attitude, it would not only displace a critical spirit, but we could not hold the crowds that would want to break into this place. Now, don't nod at me if you don't believe it, because it's okay if you don't believe that. Because I kind of wonder if we believe it, because if we really would love each other and we make a commitment, it's you before me. And if we begin to love each other in this room this way, you know what happens? When we begin to be what God has called us to be, it, it changes us and we can't help but let it ooze out on the people around us. They begin to look at us and say, why would you do that? Why would you say that? You could get even. You could, could dig it in. I'm not going to do that. So well, what's going on in that place? What are they teaching there? Well, what's, what's happening to you that would, would make you live that way? Friends, when we love each other, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus. I should have warned you that if you don't want to have change in your life, you should really not listen tonight. Because now we're faced with a horrible dilemma. Whether you've known it and you just were reminded or you've never seen this until tonight, we have zero excuse to continue in a critical, fault-finding, negative spirit any longer you don't need to go home and just grit your teeth and just do better that will fail but we need to say jesus i need you to give me your love your agape love you before me for the people in this room the people in my house the people at my job god would you teach me to love the way you've talked about there's freedom in your heart And that promised land living begins to explode in your life. Let's pray together. Father, your word is so good. We drink it up tonight. God, I pray that you'll take the mass of, for sure, insignificant words that I've shared, but take your word and allow it to come through strong and bold in our hearts tonight. Lord, I pray that we'll never be the same for the truth that you're impressing, you're stamping on our hearts. God, I pray that we will love more than we will correct. God, I pray that we will not be a resounding gong. Lord, we know that we have to have truth and grace, all truth, all grace to be loving. But God, I pray that you will rip from us a critical attitude that wants to pick out the speck in everybody else's eye and not deal with the plank of a lack of love for our brother and sister. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't ask us to do this on our own. 
Thank you that you didn't say, go work harder. Lord, I pray that you will bind the enemy right now who is trying to trap somebody here today to say, I'm going to do better. God, I pray that you will have a whole weight come down on them that they will never be able to do this. And take the weight away and remind them that you will always do this in their life if they surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus, for how you empower us to live with victory. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for hanging out. Hang in with us. We've got a few more.